Okay, great. Well, then let's just dive right in and uh, let's uh, let's bring Bill on. Hello, Bill. <laughs> you Bill? suck. Bill, you there? Bill? That's terrible. Bill? Don't you know my signal? <laughs> that was my... <sighs> Bill. We got to work on our hand signals. I, I don't, I'm not hearing Bill. <laughs> I didn't see the hand signals. Theater of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, hey there, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of what we like to call around here AT Banter. I am Rob Minot, and today I am once again joined by Ryan Fleury. Hi there. And Steve Barkley. Howdy ho! And this is our intro. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So, how are you guys doing? Oh, swell. I hurt. Do you? Why do you hurt? We're getting new flooring in our basement, and I had to move washers and dryers and shelving and all the furniture out over the last couple of days. So. Oh, really? You had to get some exercise. Cool. A little achy. Yeah. Oh, but it's good. It's almost done. How long are they going to? How long is it going to take? I think today's the last day. They started yesterday. So then I get to move it all back. <laughs> oh, you're gonna Don't be, hurt yourself. No, I'll try not to. Yep. You're going to be a bear again this week. A bear? You were a bear last week. Was I? Yeah, you're always... Oh, growly. Yeah. 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 You should see him. Grr. <laughs> uh, what are we doing today? Well, today we're going to be talking to Bill McCann, the founder and president of Dancing Dots. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ryan did mention that last week. Yep. All about Braille music. Nice. Nice. We should really do a a music-themed show, I think, at some point. Talk a, bit, a little bit. I mean, we, we touched a bit on it on the... Um, uh, oh, you know who'd be good for that? Um, Tom Decker from over in Victoria. He uh, is he runs a um, a show that on one of the local stations over there where he talks about world music and yeah. just pulls out you know the music that he loves and and stuff. Well, we should talk to him. And he also runs a company that does uh, tactile diagrams for teaching blind people. Um, um, how to operate computers and systems and, and really? such for, you know, like touchscreen things. And Tom's one of the guys that we've thanked on the podcast before because him and Albert always share us. So he's probably listening right now. Yeah, well, probably not right now. Yeah, his, his not right ears, now. Well, his ears are burning right now. Probably. In probably. two days, he's yeah. going to be like, that's me. That's right. <laughs> talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could probably reach out to them for November because it seems from now until October is a lot of music theme shows anyway. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. So we can tie him in. Well, today we're very happy to welcome to our little show, uh, Bill McCann, who is the founder and president of Dancing Dots. Dancing, Dancing Dots. Dots. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, Bill. Thank you guys. It's really nice to be back with you and uh, just to have a more of a chat session than anything else, right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate you guys moving the time around a couple times for me. This is one of those unpredictable days, so... Oh, I know those quite well. I'm having one of those myself. <laughs> okay. Not a problem. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I guess most of my days are pretty much like that, but today especially... Well, it is. Oh, it's Tuesday. It's not even Monday. I can't even blame it on Monday. It's, it's Tuesday. It's Monday somewhere. That's or right. Maybe it's not. True. In Australia? No, I get there yeah, ahead of us. I no, think. I think. Oh, well, it was Monday somewhere yesterday. Yeah, it's Monday somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. Some point. will be soon. In the solar system, there's a, have, someone's having a Monday. Still yeah. feels like Monday in my head. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like that sound, now, that sounds like a title for a song. There you go. <laughs> it's Monday in my head. Yeah. Hmm. It's Friday in my pants. 
Well, okay, I'll leave that one to you. Oh, my. Come on, there's a country, country song right there, if I've ever heard one. It's Monday in my mind and Friday in my pants. Okay, Steve, start writing that. That was the um, flip side to the, uh, what was that, I'm some... I'm feeling single and seeing double. <laughs> and, and somebody told me, I don't know, I never heard it, but somebody told me there really is a country record that's called You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. That's true. I hope yeah. that's true. <laughs> we we fact check everything here, so we're, yeah. we're, we're gonna see. <laughs> Okay, I'm check into the, that one. Get buying, back to me. I buying the single. I, yeah. All right. Well, let's start right from the very beginning. So, Bill, when were you born? Uh, I was. <laughs> okay. Here's the here's the thing. You guys are gonna like this. I am an honorary uh, Canadian because I was born on the first of July in 1958 nice wow so you know I it goes way back you know wow, was Canada Day 1958 very nice. Yeah, I was supposed to be born on the fourth of July, but I was, I was early, I guess. So, so instead of being an American baby, you're a Canadian baby. Well, honorary, at least. I, I, what a difference a few days makes. My my line was that uh, my parents called me Bill because I was due on the first of the month. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> that's a Steve joke. I'll stick to that. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, we kind of do everything early here. We we our first our our version of the Fourth of July is before yours. Our version mm -hmm. of Thanksgiving is before yours. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys got to get it in before you get frozen again. So <laughs> <laughs> our, uh, our Grey Cup is the uh, older uh, football trophy than the uh, NFL's trophy. Well, that's yeah, that's pretty much true of everything, right? I mean. Uh, uh, somebody was telling me about a town in Italy where there are two two churches. There's the old church and the new church, and the uh, new church was from 1400 something. Wow. Yeah, that's like uh, in uh, Edinburgh, the old city and the new city. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's all relative, right? Yeah, yeah. Their, their new city was being built before North America had been discovered by Europeans. So, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go to that newfangled city. Right. Uh, They've got cobblestone. Yeah. You know, those newfangled cobblestones. Yeah. yeah. So we, as you can see, we've already digressed. Yeah. Didn't, uh, yeah we didn't, didn't waste any much. time at yeah. all to drive us right off the track. Okay. So, right. Sorry. Back to, back to Bill. Right. Okay. Well, so here's we got the thing. we covered. You were um, born. Yeah. <laughs> well, to fast forward a little bit, you know, uh, my kids or somebody told me about um, this thing where when you have a birthday, let let's say you were born on the twenty third of the month, then when you turn twenty three, that's your magic uh, golden birthday or something. Um, well, going by that, my a magic golden birthday was when I was one year old and I don't remember that. So this year I figured out that when I turned 58 this summer, it was, I was going to take that as my magic golden birthday because I was born in 58 and I am 58. So it was a really fun party and a couple people were there who also were from 1958 and uh, we had a jam session and, you know, it was just fun. Nice. Yeah. So how do you get uh, into music in the first place? Well, you know, I, when I was a kid, um, my, when I was like four or five years old, my cousins came to visit from Massachusetts. We're in Pennsylvania, so it's, it's a pretty good ride. So we didn't see them like we'd see them in the summertime, my mom's older sister and her kids. And the kids were older and my cousin Jack came down and he was probably 12 or 13 and he brought a trumpet and he was practicing and I was completely mesmerized by the sound. And I said, uh, I want to do that. And I was only five years old and I kept saying it for the next four years. And then finally on my ninth birthday, my parents um, managed to get me a trumpet and um, yeah, I just, the sound of it pulled me in. I wanted to make that sound. 
Yeah, that's that's funny. I have actually a similar story. That's how I because I'm a trumpet player too. That's what I, I went to. I went to music school for a few years, planning on being a music teacher, and so my my major was trumpet too. And I remember I was sold on the promise. They told me that I could actually play it in the bathtub, which was, I guess, when I was 11, that was a really big selling point. You could blow bubbles. I could blow bubbles. I could play it underwater. Hang on. They, you know, you can play the tuba in the bathtub. <laughs> that is true. I mean, I'm not sure where. I, I'm trying to make the connection. I'm just not keeping up with the bathtub connection. Are they, well, yeah. any, technically, any brass instrument you could actually play in the in the bathtub. Yeah. But we tried it, but I maybe now I'm. You, now you have something to now you have something to, to shoot for for the next golden birthday. You know what? <laughs> wow, I gotta think about that. Well, so you went right for that and used to practice in the bathtub in your house because you like the acoustics. You know, only a couple times. It, the novelty it was really a novelty thing. Yeah. After the after the first couple times, I, I got over it and just started playing normally okay okay anyway so sorry we cut you off so okay so at so at uh age nine you got given your first trumpet yeah so and then it was you know um it was time to learn to play it and uh you know my mom rest her soul she called around to everybody and tried to find me a teacher and finally got me a teacher uh who knew braille music um but she actually didn't play the trumpet. She played the violin. But she taught me braille music. And she, she was a music major, so she knew enough about the trumpet, you know, which valves you press to get which notes. But the main thing was she taught me braille music. And then after about six months of lessons um, with Ms. Cassenda, she, um, she moved, she got married, moved away. And uh, then I never had a teacher after that who knew Braille music, but I did find somebody who actually played the trumpet, which was which was better. Um, but between the the old primer of Braille music uh, that I had a Braille copy of and teachers and transcribers, I kind of learned Braille music as I went along, as I got more advanced in music itself, and I saw more detail in scores. Um, I sort of picked it up, you know, I never really studied it, uh, kind of separately. And I guess that's probably true of a lot of guys who read print music, you know, you sort of figure it out when you see something new, Hey, what's that mean? I gradually got into it and, you know, I loved music and I loved reading music and, uh, but the, the problem was that as I got more into more advanced stuff, uh, I was studying privately with different teachers. And then um, I went to my local high school and I was the only blind student there, but I joined the band and for obvious reasons. And, you know, we would send music to these wonderful people, these volunteers called transcribers, and they would, uh, you know, they would convert it into Braille for me, the old fashioned way. They probably had Perkins Braille writers and they would, you know, in those days, if you got halfway down the page and made a mistake, if you couldn't rub it out properly, you'd throw out half the page and start again. Yeah. Between that and the fact that they were volunteering their time, I couldn't call and say, you know, actually we're going to play that piece tomorrow and I really need it now. Um, so I would literally put music in into the mailbox and the post band would take it away. And then I never knew if it was going to come back next week, next month, after the lesson, after the concert, after the competition, uh, often it would. And um, meantime, I would go to rehearsals and sit beside the, the sighted kids who were reading the music. And then when I got the Braille music, you know, I was just, playing by ear at that point and imitating what they were doing. And then when I got the Braille music, there were times when I realized that I, I had memorized perfectly the mistakes of the kid beside me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd say, well, wait a minute, you know, actually we're supposed to get louder there. And th those notes are staccato and, uh, you know, we're supposed to slow down a little or whatever it was. <clears throat> and 
So by the time I got to my senior year in high school, I was um, playing first chair trumpet and playing some solos and thinking seriously about going to study music more formally in some kind of degree program in college. But the Braille music was always, for me, um, so important, even though I really do have a very good ear for music. And I play a lot of jazz where, you know, reading is, it's kind of nice if you can do it, but it's, you know, if you he can hear it, you can just play. And But when I wanted to play classical music, uh, I always wanted to have the chart because for me, having the music, well, it's it's getting all the details that the composer thought was important to, to give to the player. And when you hear someone else playing, you, you know you can you have a good ear. You can you can play what he played, but you have to realize that you're one step removed from the actual information that. You're you're only as good as what he decided to pay attention to. Well, and that's part of the musical process, though, too, right? Is is interpretation? Is is taking what's on the chart and interpreting it yourself mm -hmm. and and playing it? So, I mean, you're kind of when when you're I guess when you're just playing by ear and when you're just sort of imitating what the guy next to you is doing, you're sort of removed from that portion of it, I guess, right? Exactly. It, it, it's, it, and it gets, you know, it kind of gets um, serious pretty fast because it gets into whole issues of independence, whether you can be a leader or you have to literally follow. Right. And I like to say that as blind people, we spend a lot of time following. And it's nice when there's a situation where you can actually take the lead. And that's one of those situations I found was in music, but the only way I could do it was to actually have the information that I needed. Right. So I, I could say something with conviction, you know, they actually were supposed to accent that note, you know, there's an accent there or whatever it is. Um, I would know that from listening to a recording of someone else doing it, unless they chose to actually observe it. Um, or, you know, or you might, hear an accent and play it that way and someone might say why are you doing that well i heard you know heard that well there's it's not written here so um having the information information is power and uh having the information is is the first step toward actually being independent and actually taking charge and making a commitment to yourself uh you know, there's a lot of talk about inclusion. And if you're the only member of a musical group and you show up for rehearsal and everyone else is very excitedly looking at their new parts for the year, for the season, and you don't have it, you you start to feel a little bit left out, right? Like, am I part of this group or not? So that's another issue with giving a kid who reads Braille in history class or math class the music in music classes, you know, the message is, okay, here's your chart. Now it's up to you. You're going to learn it. You're going to, you're going to, you know, do your, take up your side of the deal, or are you just going to kind of fake it, you know, like other people might. Um, yeah. I mean, I would assume that it really, it makes you a lot more, feel a lot more connected to the music too, when you have it to go over yourself. Yeah. And you and, and the other uh, other nice thing about braille music uh, for me, a couple things. If if you play something seasonal, like you know a Christmas song or a patriotic song at certain times of the year, like the Fourth of July or whatever, it comes time to play it next year. You can take that braille music down from the shelf and look at it again, and you can play it. You don't have to run over to someone and say, "Could you play this for me again?" I know I asked you last year. But I can't find that recording you made for me or whatever. Um, the other nice thing about a Braille chart is that if you're in a musical group, like I was in high school and college, and you're you have a memory lapse um, halfway through a performance, you're you know you're resting for twelve measures and you're counting and you're thinking, oh no, I can't remember what I'm supposed to do when I come back in. I know there's twelve measures rest here, but what am I doing? So. You can grab the Braille chart on your music stand 
and look at it and refresh your memory where you cannot possibly do that with somebody's audio recording, you know, especially when I was a kid, because we had cassettes, you know, you'd be like fumbling around with a cassette, trying to fast forward and putting it, you know, a little ear, earbud in your ear and, you know, it just wouldn't work. Right. So having the braille chart is great. It's, it's like having a safety net when you're in a performance uh, and you, you, you know, you can't really beat that. So has Braille music been around for a long time? Like, do you have any idea, like, just how long? Yeah, well, I'm going to share something uh, that is kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> mind-blowing. I did not know until I started my business and not and not even, a, you know, a couple of years into starting my business. And, and I was in my 30s, my early 30s, and I real it hit me one day. I don't really know. Wait a minute. Who invented this Braille music? I mean, I know Louis Braille invented Braille, the system we call Braille. But, and then I realized hey, it's called Braille music because he invented it. And he invented it because I later learned, um, played the organ extremely well. He won the prize for cello in his school. He actually started, uh, one vocational path for blind people. He he taught his uh, friends and students how to uh, tune pianos and how to um, repair them. So Braille himself was uh, quite a musician. In fact, at one point in his career, he was offered a chance to leave teaching at the School for the Blind in Paris and take a job in a cathedral in a place called Moemi. AUX. I'm not a French scholar, but I think it's Mo. And, um, but he decided that he loved teaching too much to leave. But, you know, they don't offer, uh, you know, you a position as a cathedral organist if, if you can't play. That's you know, sure. the, the guy must have been able to play really well. Plus the fact that he was blind and they were still wanted to bring him in. He must have been really good. Um, but he also knew at that time that he had contracted tuberculosis and he, you know, his health was a question as well. Um, but yeah, Louis Braille invented it. And I'm told what we use today is not so different from what, from the system that he devised. So how many instruments do you actually play now, Bill? Uh, now I don't play <laughs> almost at all. I'm sort of reformed, but uh, <laughs> a reformed musician. Yeah, I'm a reformed musician, right? Yeah, I work nine to five, but it's nine a.m. to five p.m. Uh, but no, I I play trumpet mainly is my thing. I have a flugelhorn, and I've had over. The, I still have my D trumpet. Of course, I have the B flat. I have a couple B flat trumpets. I had the D trumpet that has a slide to make it E flat. Uh, Rob, you probably know about those. And then oh, yeah. I had a piccolo trumpet at one point, but a few years ago it was, you know, Christmas was coming and I needed some cash. So I sold my piccolo trumpet to some kid, um, because I barely play anymore. When I started my business in, uh, 92, at that time I was still leading a band and going out and, you know, working a fair amount as a musician, as a performing musician and I used to practice for an hour or two a day and yep. try to keep up my chops and everything. But as dancing dots started to grow, I just, it didn't make sense to run out to play at parties or clubs anymore as time went by. So up in the mid nineties, I started to just fade out of that. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it up. But the, the fun thing is, and I know, you know, we said we we're jumping around, but now we're really jumping around. Um, but this last summer, I, uh, for the third year running, I led a music camp for visually impaired kids out in uh, California. And uh, for the first time this year, we had a couple guys who could really play jazz. So I got to play this year in our, in our um, performances. I taught the guys a tune that I had written, and uh, we performed it at... Um, it went pretty well and it was really a thrill for me to play again although it was a little embarrassing because i i <laughs> not only don't practice for an hour i didn't practice at all i just picked it up <laughs> and started to play you know so um 
but you can get away with that with jazz a little bit more than if you're playing for the bride as she's coming down the aisle. That's right. They don't mind if you clam the note or something. Yeah, yeah I meant yeah, I meant that actually. That you know that note <laughs> that right. cracked. That, that was just me being cool. Listen, man, I'm improvising. <laughs> That's right. I'm making it up here. Come on, this is jazz. Is but, like uh, yeah, you... that was really fun. But <clears throat> I do like to write uh, tunes and things. Uh, so I play the keyboard, but I rarely play in public. But I mean, I know enough about the piano that I can sit down and, you know, play some standard jazz songs. Um, I never really got much past uh, very simple box stuff, you know, uh, in classical piano. But um, I know enough to, that I can I can play a little bit. And um, the fun thing this summer, too, was I, I uh, was inspired to write a song I called the the Gloria Stream, um, the ballad of the Google Car, and it's a song about this blind guy having a dream about driving his Google Car um, or riding in his Google Car. Because that sounds like driving. a song about Ryan. <laughs> yeah, and uh, because uh, and when I was introducing, I taught the kids in our summer camp. We had uh, we formed a chorus, and I arranged the song for the chorus and uh i i would always introduce it by well just giving people the the true background which was when i heard about the self-driving car i had two reactions the first was like that is so great i mean i can driving has always been such an issue and i can just get up and go this is going to be so cool but then my other reaction was complete terror you know like you're putting yourself inside this machine that's going to go at very high rates of speed down the road with these other vehicles going at very high rates of speed <laughs> and you can't see what's going on. And you're just like, I hope we get there. Okay. Yeah. That'd be good if we didn't crash into anything because you know, I write software and it, if it crashes, you reboot the computer. If, if their software goes, you crash. <laughs> That's right. You know? Well, technically, so, you know, if you get in a car with anybody, you stand that same mm -hmm. chance. But do you think maybe we're just mistrustful of technology because we've used Windows for so long? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. It might have something to do with it. Right. <laughs> Or iTunes, yeah. please do, do not consult Apple for your software. So long story short, one of the audience members was Wayne Siligo, who's been a longtime uh, revered music teacher at the School for the Blind in California and Fremont. So Wayne's like, oh, I love that song. Come on, you got to send it to me. I'm going to do that with my chorus. So I was really delighted that he wanted to do it. And we got some laughs, you know, it's, it's meant to be funny, but it also meant to kind of get people thinking, you know, about this whole possibility. And when I wrote it, I kept hearing, you know, in a few years, maybe, and now I'm hearing that in Singapore, a company started a driverless taxi service. Yep. And now I'm hearing that in Pittsburgh, Uber is experimenting with driverless uh, Uber cars. Yeah, there's also um, the uh, city of uh, Las Vegas has just uh, signed a deal with a company that's going to be doing a uh, driverless air taxi. Wow. What? So okay. Wow. Okay, have, that's a whole other dimension right there. <laughs> you'll have these landing pads around the city, and they basically... <laughs> take off and land at one of these landing pads but you basically walk up to the thing it'll take a passenger and i think they said 175 pounds of luggage and you just punch in where you're going it flies you there and lands we're gonna we're see steve in our lifetime we are going to get a flying car you, you bet your buns <laughs> i'm so well, relieved at that I, I thought i was gonna exit without seeing my flying car that i was promised well i'm still bummed that i'm not uh, getting a chance to go to the moon base you know yeah that's true too yeah. Okay, we've hmm. derailed once again. Yes, we've, we have. We have, we've I, uh, let me ask you, Bill, because uh, I'm fascinated by the process of reading a Braille chart 
Um, I know as a sighted musician, it's a, it's much easier when you have a chart in front of you that you can follow and read along. You don't have to rely on actually taking it away and memorizing it bar by bar. But that being said, you must have found that those charts really stuck in your head like far longer. Yes, uh, I found that, and maybe this is because I had some limited vision till I was six, but... I find that when I have a braille chart, um, I can memorize the shape of the dots and I can read the braille in my head while I'm playing. And, you know, you can't do it, do that with another medium. Maybe you can do that with print music You can kind of read it off a music stand in your mind. Right. But, um, when I, I do have to memorize the music. I mean, in a pinch, I can read Braille music with my left hand while I'm trying to play the trumpet, but it's not very good for your technique and it's not very comfortable in general. But so you're memorized the music, but, but you're memorizing the music, right? You're memorizing all the details, as I said, but I'm also memorizing three ways. Um, I'm memorizing the sound, the musical sound. I memorize the way the muscle memory, the way my the position of my fingers, which valves I have down, how how the, the horn feels on my face like when I do certain passages. Then the third stream of memorization for me was the shape of the braille dots so I can see them in my head while I'm playing. And I found that if I memorize the piece in with those three streams of, of data, let's say, that if I lost track of one, the other two could kick in enough that I could get through it. Yeah, it's funny. And it's funny how the mind works, too. Like, I remember, I remember a grade 10, we played, we played, I don't know, I think it was, it was like Greece's greatest hits. It was a, you know, a concert, grade 10 concert band chart. Mm -hmm. And there was a chromatic run in that, that the brass had to do. And we practiced that for for weeks trying to get that chromatic rundown mm -hmm. and probably for 15 years afterwards <laughs> i had that chromatic run memorized it was just locked in to my head and i could right just there, and i can i can i could probably sit and do the fingering right now like it's just <laughs> yeah. it's really weird when you sit and you work on a section or a song for that matter um, it can just stick around for, for years. Do you find that? Do you find that you can still remember songs from oh, years yeah. past? I mean, yeah. I mean, certain, certain classical pieces like, uh, the Hummel trumpet concerto, the Haydn trumpet concerto, you know, I can remember, I can just, you know, move my fingers and play the notes and, and hear it. And yeah. Oh yeah. And I can see the braille. <laughs> Um, because you, yeah, like you did with that thing, you just drill it and drill it. It, it's, it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Let's actually, let's, let's take a, a few steps back. And if you could just tell us, give us, uh, you know, the short version of just what exactly dancing dots does and we'll, what, what the, the suite of software can actually do. Sure. Well, when, when I, uh, uh, just to get back to my own bio, right, I, I, I did go to school for music and I did continue to have frustrations with, they only got worse with trying to get materials in Braille. So when I got my music degree from a conservatory in Philadelphia in 1980, I spent a year being a full-time musician and I played in every church and nightclub that would have me. I taught blinded sighted kids trumpet. I even sold some music arrangements to a high school band director in the area. But in the end, I said, you know, I got to do something else. I want to, I don't want to be this poor for that long. So I studied programming and I got a job at Sunoco, uh, which is now got gobbled up into BP, but um, they were an oil company here. And I worked there for 10 years, but um, I did business software programming, but all that time I was continuing to, to lead a band and to study music and uh, teach music and the whole thing part-time. And I kept thinking there must be a way to, to speed up this transcription process. There must be a way because I knew that sighted people were using computers to actually print out staff notation. 
and um, and even play it back in tempo and you could hear the computer perform it. And I knew I had met David Holliday back in 1979 when I was still in college. And he's a young guy who had written some software for his brilliant blind wife, Karen Navy, who was teaching mathematics at Bucknell University here in Pennsylvania. And he wanted to make some software to translate her math stuff into Braille and text into Braille. He was writing for the Apple IIe. So I said, okay, we have software that can produce Braille text and we have software that can produce print music. What we need to do is get some software that can produce Braille music. And um, so it took a while. I, I, I worked at the oil company for 10 years and then uh, the short version of that story is that they wanted to get smaller. They were looking for people to volunteer to terminate employment. And then in return, they would give you a pile of money and training. And uh, after a lot of consideration, prayer and discussion with my wife, cause uh, we were expecting our second child. Then I decided, you know, it was time to just give it a try. So I left uh, my safe cushy job where they paid me every two weeks whether uh, I deserved it or not even though I think most of the time I did but it didn't matter um, and uh, I started I was actually I was a graduation project for these two young guys from the University of Penn I got connected with their small business development center and these guys were looking for a graduation project and they actually helped me apply for my first little bit of money from a state program here in Pennsylvania called Ben Franklin partnership. And to show you how long ago this was, uh, the application was only available in hard copy print. And one of the guys literally typed up what I told him to write and Anyway, well, that's, that, that's that's better than Ben Franklin presenting it himself. I mean, that, that would I mean, really make it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I guess they had to print it because it was from Ben Franklin. It had to be, you know, <laughs> printing press or something. But anyhow, the uh, uh, so we were sitting around one night talking, like, okay, what what do you want? You know, one of the guys says, well, what do you want to call this this little company that you want to start? And I said, I hadn't really thought about a name for it. I just want to make a piece of software that can convert digital information that can print music into braille digital information. And so I said, I think, I think it's going to have to have the word dots in it because it's about braille. And then it has to have some, another word that refers to music. And so one of the guys jokingly said, okay, why don't we call it disco dots? <laughs> and, um, and we all laughed. And then I said, wait a minute, what about dancing dots? And that's, that's how it started. So as the name implies, I mean, from the beginning it was about Braille and by 1997, the, the uh, version we finally released in 1997, um, which we probably should have released sooner if we were more like the Microsoft model where, you know, release it and then clean up all the bugs later. But, and, you know, we kept saying, we, we can't release it yet. We have to have this other feature, you know, not realizing that, Hey, nobody else has anything. So let's just release it. But so that was our first product. It was, it was actually the first version of Goodfield ran under DOS. And uh, then my business partner, Albert Bellani, who really took my simple prototype and made it into a real piece of software with a user interface and, all the things you'd like um, in a in a Windows program. We released the Windows version, I think, in '98 or something. But um, so the first program was a Braille music translator called Goodfeel, and the idea was to take uh, where we kind of in interacted with a program called Lime, which is a music editor mainstream program used to uh, get print music done. And it's sort of like a word processor for music, like the Microsoft Word for music, if you can imagine. Right. Um, except you're typing in notes instead of characters and words. So we can take, you know, that information and convert it to the equivalent Braille music. And that was great. And what was nice about that is that there are, even in a country as big as the United States, um, at that time, there were only maybe four or five dozen 
people who could sit down who are certified braille music transcribers by the library of congress who could sit down with a braille or print score and crank out the braille score and with our system somebody who knows print music and who can um use a computer can effectively serve as that braille music transcriber once they get the music on the screen looking like their music on the page they just launch good feel and bang you have your braille score so that was the way in for me was get to the braille music but as we showed that around the country at you know conferences like csun where i've met up with you guys and lots of people uh, and, and, and other conferences, we started to hear two things. You know, people wanted to make records with their computer. Can I sing into this? And, you know, no, you can't. So we found out about this program from Cakewalk that was relatively accessible under DOS. And then Windows came out and we had to make some basic scripts. And then I met David Pinto in 98, I think it was, or 99. And he's a brilliant teacher and he had learned enough about scripting to do some very creative things. So we started uh, selling and supporting his scripts and tutorial for Sonar, which turns your computer into a multi-track recording studio. And you can sing and play on different tracks and mix it all together and make your MP3. Um, the other thing we would hear was, hey, I'm low vision and this is cool what you did for Braille. And then later on, when we integrated the speech cues and the uh, so forth for for speech users, but they said, uh, "I need, I just need some magnification." Um, so that's when we, uh, about whew, six years ago now, started working on a product that ultimately we call Lime Lighter that uh, takes that same score that Lime presents in kind of you know standard size and zooms it up to uh, uh, up to 10 times zoom level, make it real big, and then integrate a pedal so that you can you use your foot to scroll the music either manually or kick off an automatic scrolling feature. So you can keep your hands on your cello or your piano or your, or your trumpet or whatever. Right. So all, all those different things... Um, basically come back to the one sentence I got down, which is we're help we're the company that helps you if you're visually impaired to read your music, write your music down, or record your music independently. And you can do that in a number of mediums, including Braille, magnified music, uh, and various audio formats. Right. So it's pretty much a, a complete solution. I like to think of it that way. Uh, you know, anything good can always be made better. One of the innovations that we've really been working on is integrating uh, a new de facto standard for, for score data interchange called Music XML. And a lot of the commercial um, music notation programs like Sibelius and Finale that are comparable to Lime uh, can actually export score data as music XML and now our Lime software can import it hmm. without without significant loss of data, which is great because that means that your band director who's who paid his dues to learn how to use Sibelius does not have to become an expert at Lime. If if he can put your flute part into Sibelius and then export to XML, we can pull it into Lime and convert it to your access method of choice, whether that's, you know, listening to Lime play it for you or creating a Braille score or magnifying, uh, you know, zooming it up real big so you can read it as a low vision person. Well, anyway, we sort of jumped around, but I think, I, I, I hope you got the idea. I mean, yeah. basically what, what I want to do is give people access. You know, it's all about access to information and getting back to the, you know, the more philosophical part of this, but, you know, just to be serious for a minute, I mean, again, it's about giving people the information and then putting it on them, you know, to say, okay, you got it now, you decide what you want to do with it. So then let me ask you this, uh, what do you got planned for the future in terms of uh, the software? 
A couple things. Uh, I, I was blessed to be able to acquire this program called Lime. Up until a couple of years ago, it was someone else's. So we would build kind of on top of it. Now we're at a point where we, we actually own the source code. So we are um, going to try to integrate Goodfeel more closely with Lime and try to make, but we're at a point where we have a foundation where we can have a version of Lime that has everything in it as one single product, uh, the Braille, the magnification, the speech, uh, instead of right now, we, we market Lime Lighter for the low vision people and uh, good feel for Lime Allowed for Braille and speech users. So we do run across some people who want to have magnification and speech. Um, the other thing is to get more, um, to, 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 to leverage Music XML even, even more so that the content is... Uh, more available to people if we we really need to do some some lobbying and some um, networking with people who publish music and try to get the, across to them that you know if if you created this print score from a digital uh thing like finale if you can make the xml available to to us we can we can produce an accessible score in seconds so uh, we need to get that word out there too and then I have some ideas for some stuff I can't talk about because I haven't done it yet and I don't want anyone else to do it. Uh, <laughs> but um, trying to get some money to do that right now. So if you know anybody has you know, a bunch of money that they don't know what to do with, give them my number. It will do. Yeah, I can help. Uh, no, I'm, I'm keeping that number. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Free money, okay. come here first. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, I'll be reasonable. You can, you can, we can do a 90-10 split or something. If it's a big enough pile, hey. Well, that's true. That's Why don't we just start a GoFundMe page? There you go. Yeah. Well, we could, we could try that. Um, well, I think I know a couple of trombone players. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, those guys. Uh, oh, no, I won't. I, I was tempted. <laughs> you know what you do when, when a trombone player knocks on your door, though? What's that? You, you give them the money and you take the pizza. <laughs> see in my high school it was all about it wasn't it wasn't the trombone players that were the butt of the jokes it was the flute players really i don't know how our flute section got such a, a, a reputation but all our jokes were were absolutely filthy and yeah well yeah i mean this is a family podcast, so but I know what you mean. I mean, we're talking about musicians, uh, so that yeah, that happens. But the, usually, it was either the drummers or the trombone players or the singers. Of course, there's a lot of singer jokes. Uh, uh, so yeah. we, we some of those we yeah we could sell. Do you know when? Uh, what is it? How many singers it takes to unscrew a light bulb? <laughs> no. Uh, just once she hangs on to the bulb and the world revolves around her. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should, I should ask, I mean, we'll of course link to, to dancing dots in the show notes, but, uh, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you on the old intranet. Oh yeah. Yeah. So www.dancingdots.com. And, uh, and there's a wonderful company up north of here called Aroga, and you can also look at their site, and they, they might say something about us, too. Yeah, there's a good chance he might be mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's synergy, folks. It's synergy. Yeah, yeah it all kind of goes together. Thanks for uh, coming on the show, Bill. Well, thanks, Rob and, and, and Ryan and Steve. It was... Uh, uh, I didn't realize this was going to be such a more of a of a chat. I think the only thing miss, missing were some some of our favorite beverages. But maybe next time we're next in the time. same room together, we could remedy that. So, right. You ever get up here? We'll, we'll do it in a AT with beer episode for exactly. you. Too. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, um, like a beer summit situation. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. All right, Bill. We'll let you go and get back to your dinner. All right, guys. Wonderful to talk. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll we'll see you soon. All, All right. right. Thanks, see Bill. You, Bill. Take care, Bill. Okay. Bye-bye. So, hey, I hear we have a website. We do. I heard that, too.
That's what I heard. Really? I think if you go to www.atbanter.com, you'll find a wealth of information on how to get a hold of us. Right. One of those ways is by email. Really? So I think if you go into your email and type in atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Woohoo! And we also got a YouTube channel. We have a Google Plus page and Facebook, of course. And Twitter. And Twitter. How can we forget Twitter? What are we doing next week, Ryan? Next week, we have Ben Schrogler from Skoog coming on. I dare you to say those two words together fast. Schrogler, Skoog, Schrogler, Skoog, Schrogler, Skoog. <laughs> Masterful. <laughs> I guess he showed you. That's my talent. So, Skoog, uh, what, what's the Skoog again? Skoog is a musical device that is formed into a foam cube and can be tied into your computer via Bluetooth, where you can create sounds and play it like an instrument. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that then. Woo! Skoog! Skoog! It's it's a really fun word to say. We have to ask him about that, about where they came, how they developed the name Skoog. I know, but he he knows it better. Really? There should have been something called a Skoog long ago. It's true. It might have been. Think so? Yeah, maybe. 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 Maybe you're right. I guess we'll find out next week. What do you think happens when we Google Skoog? Well, you're going to come to the Skoog website, but let's find but out. You never know. It's like, you know, you look up a Roga and you get all kinds of different things. That's true. Oh, there's a bunch of suggestions. Skoogies, Skoog Principles of Instrumental Analysis, Skoog High Jump, Skoogles, Skoog Analytical oh. Chemistry PDF. Wait, Skoogles? Skoogles. That's got to be a snack, right? <laughs> that's got to be... Skoogles. I want some Skoogles. <laughs> if there, if it's not a snack, uh, we're uh, you need to take out all the money, and we're going to develop a snack named Skoogles. Should I get the domain Skoogles.com? It, like, it can be like Skittles, <laughs> except different. Except three of them out of a bowl might gummy, kill you. No, <laughs> like gummy Skittles. Like something sour, gummy Skittles, and we'll call them Skoogles. Skoogles. Skoogles.com. Yeah. Or, or not. Domains are cheap. Wait, or there could be, we could develop glasses. Is it SK or SC? Skoogles are swim goggles. I was going to say that. I was going to say they should be some sort of goggle, but they could also be. It was so, it oh, why, why did they, they name could be a Skoogles, though, I wonder? Because hmm. they're swimming goggles. Speedo Skoogles at swimoutlet.com. Hmm. Damn. I can get Skoogle.com. Yeah, we might have to look into that. Skoogles. Well, if it's a trademark, it could be copyright infringement. Well, we'll find out. That's why we let Ryan do it, and then he can get sued. That's right. <laughs> Bring it on. Napster never caught me. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Edit, edit, edit. Yeah, that'll all get edited. That's fine. All right. Well, then, in that case, I've been Rob Minot. And I've been Ryan Flurry. And I remain Steve Barkley. And we will see you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A.com. Music provided by bensound.com.